This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. We've been talking about ways to defend our faith and how we can believe that the Bible is true, how we can believe that um, Jesus is who he said he is and we believe in the resurrection. And we're going to take a little bit different turn this morning as we're talking about standing up for what we believe in. We're going to take a little different turn talking about how to stand up for what we believe in and understanding why we believe it. And that's really due to a large part in our cultural uh, perception of this whole idea of tolerance. And when you hear that word tolerance, it's thrown around a lot in different circles because anytime you stand up for something that someone else disagrees with in our culture, you automatically get slapped with this label of being intolerant. Uh, If you don't approve of me and everything I do and you don't agree with me and everything I do, bam, you're intolerant. And that's what has become very popular in our society. We get labeled as being judgmental or or bigots or racists or hypocrites or fundamentalists or intolerant. Whatever word gets slapped on you when you stand up for the truth, when you stand up for the truth that's in God's word, people say, oh, you're just old-fashioned. Jesus just needs to get with the times. The Bible needs to be updated saw an interview on TV where this guy was interviewing a pastor and he was trying to justify homosexual marriage. And the pastor said, listen, I I can't argue with what Scripture said. The Bible says that that is a sin and I cannot justify that no matter how you want to spin it. And the guy says, the guy interviewing this pastor said, well, don't you think that the Bible needs to be updated like everything else has been? Don't you think the Bible needs to be tweaked like everything else? Don't you think... That, you know, it needs to, you know, more fit with what's going on in the culture of the day. Because the guy said, I believe the Bible's a good book and it's got good things to say, but shouldn't we kind of edit it a little bit to modernize it, you know, like we have everything else? And he said this, the pastor said this, this was great. He said that you cannot move what has already been established into what is happening in culture. You can't transition something that has already been established like God's holy word and try to make it fit culture. No, the word of God should be the standard setter for us, not culture. You see, culture wants to try to pressure the church. Culture wants to try to pressure you and me. Culture wants to try to pressure us into thinking in line with what is popular. But what if God's word contradicts what is popular? What are you going to do then? Are you going to stand up for what you believe and understand why you believe it? Even if it means that you get slapped with this intolerant label and you're not being very tolerant? So how do we operate and stand up for what we believe in a world that's immediately wanting to demonize us for our stance on anything? Because if we don't agree with the majority, then we just get slapped with all of these labels. And the purpose of it is really the spirit of Antichrist that wants to put pressure on believers to be quiet, to be quiet from speaking the truth, to be quiet from standing up for what's right. Because the Bible says that there's a way that seems right to a man. There's a way that seems right in culture. There's a way that seems right to us. But that doesn't mean that it's right just because it seems right. Amen? Just because people say, well, everybody's doing it, it's okay, you need to get with the times and update, doesn't mean we have to play the game. 
We need to go to the source of the one who created us for his purpose, for his glory, and say, God, what did you say? I'm going to side with you even if I'm ostracized, even if I'm persecuted, even if I get labeled as being intolerant. Because this idea that the world has of being tolerant simply means that you are being tolerant as long as you agree with me and you approve of me. And I'm going... That's not what tolerance means. If I agree with you and approve of you, why should I have to tolerate you? That means I agree with you and approve of you. But all of a sudden, if I disagree, then I get immediately labeled as being intolerant. So should Christians be tolerant? Well, Christians should not be tolerant according to the culture's definition. According to that definition, absolutely not. We should not be tolerant according to that definition. Because here's the thing, tolerance is too weak. Tolerance is too weak. We aren't called to tolerate. We're not called to just put up with somebody. We're called to love. That's a lot stronger than tolerance, amen? I mean, we don't just tolerate. I'm just putting up with you just because. I don't want to just put up with you. I don't want to just tolerate you. How am I going to reach somebody if, if I'm just tolerating them? No, I, I'm wanting to love them right where they're at, right in the middle of their sin, right in the middle of their dysfunction, right in the middle of all their issues. I'm going to love them right where they're at. And that means I'm going to accept them like Christ accepted me, but I may not approve of what they're doing. How many of you have kids and you, if, if you parented with the way that culture has spun tolerance, you would have some jacked up kids. Think about it. Your kid says, I want to stay out till 11. And you say, no, your curfew is at 10. You had better be home by 10. But I want to stay out till 11. You say, no, I'm the parent. I'm the authority figure. I'm not going to allow you to stay out past the time I've specified. And then your child says, you're being an intolerant, judgmental parent. I have my rights. And you're not being tolerant of my desires and the way I think I should live my life. Well, I guess you're right. What if we succumb to that? Too many parents do. Too many times we do. As a culture, we become very weak because we get intimidated when somebody wants to start slapping labels on us. We get intimidated when people put pressure on us to conform to their ideas. And a lot of it is because we're not growing as disciples and understanding why we believe what we believe. That's why we're doing this series, to help strengthen you so you can know how to stand when the pressure is put on. So you can know how to stand. And it's not, I just know a lot about Jesus. No, I know Him personally. And my life, my foundation is built on the solid rock of the Word of God. And it's not built on shifting sand of emotions. Because that's all that shifting sand is. It's it's just this emotional perception that has elevated feelings as truth. People go, oh, I believe it because it feels good. I believe it because it feels right. I believe it because this makes me all hmm, warm and fuzzy inside. Well, guess what? Your feelings lie to you. Your feelings lie to you. They do, and they're fickle. Oh, man, you can be excited about something one day and mad about it the next. Or maybe in the same sentence and moment. You can't build your foundation upon something that's always moving and and shifting. I remember when I was about 14 years old, we went on vacation to Pensacola, Florida, and I spent three hours on this magnificent sand project. 
I had constructed this amazing sculpture out of sand, and I was so proud of it. And in comes the tide. I snapped just a few pictures of it, so I do have proof that I made it. But the tide comes in and washes it away. And that's exactly what happens when circumstances come. That's exactly what happens when storm comes. We build this great thing and we stand back and look at it. And if we build our life on our emotions, then bam, it's gone or it changes or it shifts. And we don't know how to handle it. We don't know how to deal with it. Because we have been in this culture that would want to tell you that if it feels good, do it. They would want to tell you, build your life on feelings. Sure, that's a secure way to build your life and your belief. That's a terrible way to build your beliefs. That's a terrible way. To, you, you can't stand and, 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 and fight for something and, and be convicted about something just because you feel good about it today. You have to have something that transcends your feelings. And guess what? The Word of God does not change based on how you feel. Right? So that means when it's good, and we're talking about love and mercy, and we're high-fiving, and we're talking about the grace of God, and we're doing backflips, Blues Brothers style in here, having a good time, high-fiving, excited about what Jesus is doing, that's good. But what about when we have to talk about sin? What about when we have to talk about things that are harder, or things that are more difficult, that we go, oh, I don't like that, Oof. that doesn't make me feel good. If it doesn't make me feel good, then I don't want it. Well, what if something that's challenging you is actually for your benefit? You know, I didn't grow up watching this on television because, thank God, I was old enough before it came on TV to not be into it. But my sister, God bless her, and many in her generation grew up with this figure. This figure is called Barney the Dinosaur. You remember Barney the Dinosaur? I love you, you love me, we're a happy family. <laughs> that was good, wasn't it? Yeah. Thank you. Um, Barney was Mr. Politically Correct, Mr. Feel Good. And Barney would have kids that were on the show do a race. And all these kids would race. And then at the end of the race, the kids would be, Oh, Barney, who won the race? He would say, It doesn't matter who won. We all tied. You're all winners. And that's what Barney would say to be politically correct. And Barney creates this idea in society that everybody's a winner. Well, guess what, folks? I got news for you, kiddos. If you all arrived at the same time and nobody won... You all tied. And if you all tied, then that means nobody won. So kids, that makes you all losers. <laughs> Let me tell you something. People are so afraid to hurt someone's feelings in our culture because we've elevated feelings above truth. We don't want anyone to have to deal with the fact that they may have lost. That's wrong. We are raising up a generation of weak people who don't know how to deal with challenges and loss. Because I'm always supposed to win, I'm always supposed to feel good, and if I don't feel good, then there's a pill for that. And I don't ever learn how to work through challenges, and I don't ever learn how to deal with difficult things. So when I hear preaching that tickles my ears, when I hear teaching that tickles my ears, that I like, ooh, it makes me feel good, I'll go to that church, but when I hear truth that may be hard for me to receive, I run out the doors because I don't feel good. 
Are you willing to deal with the good things in the Word of God as well as the more difficult things? I appreciate you folks who may be older in this room who grew up with Captain Kangaroo. Because Captain Kangaroo, military man, had a big giant, this big giant coat with these big pockets and you never knew what was in them. But I'm guessing it was a Glock and a 9. And if you got the answer wrong, everybody didn't win. If you got the answer wrong, he would drop ping pong balls on your head on national TV in front of the whole nation. Oh, we don't want to hurt Johnny's V's. My kid played baseball and they didn't keep score. And I'm like, why play? Somebody's got to win. Somebody's got to lose. And you've got to learn how to deal with it when you don't win. You've got to learn how to deal with it when you strike out. You've got to learn how to grow in those things because if you always avoid challenges and you think you're always supposed to win and be happy, you're going to be a defeated person that thinks everybody's supposed to cater to your emotions for the rest of your life. And if we're supposed to be men and women of God who stand firm on what we believe, we need to believe what we believe when it feels good and when it doesn't. And we need to hold on to the truth and not let it go just because of feelings or emotions or challenges or people labeling us as intolerant. We approach this thing because we're convicted about it. And we stand on it because we're convinced that God's Word is the ultimate authority. And it's true. Tolerance should never overtake truth. It should never be elevated above truth. Because what is right is right. And that's right. (laughs) What's right is right. Tolerance should never overtake truth. You know, here's the thing. When the feelings of people overtake truth, the truth of God's Word, culture changes. Say that again, because you need to think about it. When the feelings of people overtakes the truth of God's Word, it changes culture. Every shift that has happened in culture, where we begin to tolerate things in culture that were not once acceptable, that now become acceptable, that become prevalent, it's because we've elevated feelings above what God has established. Because we don't want anyone to be wrong. Everybody's right. I mean, my goodness, um, you know, Tom Cruise wants to believe in zombies and alien apocalypses, and, well, he must be right. Because he's popular. He's famous. Some famous preacher wants to get on the air and and, and say that all roads lead to heaven. Well, he must be right because he's famous. He's on TV. Really? Does that make him right just because he has a stage? What did God say? I think Jesus said it best when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. He said, I'm it, guys. I am the only way. It doesn't matter what pop culture says. You know what? If you get labeled as intolerant because you don't think that all roads lead to heaven, then you get labeled as intolerant because you stand on what is true, not on what feels good. Amen, somebody. You see... When we get a hold of the Word of God and we allow that to be our foundation, it changes the way we live because we're called to discern truth. Did you know that? You and I as believers are called to be discerners of truth. We're called to stand for the truth and we're called to be people who judge the truth. What? Ruffle my feathers. Like we have feathers. Isn't that strange? People use that expression. Um, You ruffle my feathers. What do you mean? What are you talking about? 
Because the number one thing that the whole tolerant crowd throws out all the time is this, Christians aren't supposed to judge. You're not supposed to judge. And that's true in the sense of you're not supposed to be putting down other people and being critical and judgmental and mean-spirited towards people. But are we supposed to judge what is right and what is wrong and what is truth and what is false? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus said it himself in John chapter 7 and verse 24. Jesus said, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Don't judge according to how it appears. If it appears good, if it looks good, it doesn't matter if it feels good. If it looks good, judge with righteous judgment. How can you judge with righteous judgment? The Word of God. You can look and see, what did God say? Because He's the ultimate authority. Amen? The, the part that Jesus often gets misquoted on is Matthew chapter 7, though. He always gets quoted by this, and people take it way out of context says this in Matthew 7 and verse 1, Judge not that you not be judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And most people stop right there. And they don't read the rest of it. It's always dangerous when you stop reading Scripture and you take it out of context. Entire doctrines and bad theology has been formed because people will lift Scripture out of context instead of reading the entire meaning. There's a Scripture in the Bible that says Judas hanged himself, and there's another Scripture that says go ye and do likewise. Let's put those together. (laughs) Nobody's going to do it. Why not? Because it's crazy. You're lifting it out of context. Read the Word in context. So look at somebody and say, keep reading. Y'all ain't playing with me today. Come on. You got to say it like, like you're from the South. So y'all keep reading. There you go. Y'all keep reading. Don't stop. Don't stop in verse 2. Let's read verse 3. What did Jesus say? And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your own eye, and look, a plank is in your eye? You hypocrite. You need to first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And this puts the whole thing in different perspective here. Because Jesus didn't say, don't try to remove the speck from your brother's eye. hey He said, first you need to deal with your issue. He said, and then you're going to be better equipped to deal with the speck. He said, don't ignore the speck. Don't pretend like the speck's not there. Don't just let him go around with a speck in his eye. He said, confront the truth. Con- confront with, 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 with the truth and what's right. But make sure you're handling your own issues first. In other words, if you're struggling with something, don't go and, and, and try to fix somebody who's struggling with the same thing because you're going to create a hot mess. You're going to create a big mess. You need to deal with that and allow God to deal with that in your heart. And then you know what? You can give your testimony to someone. You can tell someone, hey, let me tell you, I, I see what you're struggling with, I see what you're dealing with, and this isn't right. Let me tell you, this is how God can set you free. Because why? You've seen victory in that area. You've found freedom in that area. You're not trying to deal with it hypocritically or judgmentally. You're not just trying to point your finger. Because I think a lot of times we like to be equipped with truth in order to be right. Yeah, I said it. I said a lot of times I think we like to be equipped with truth because we want to be right, not because our heart is for the person. Our heart is for our own selfish need to be right. And if we confront people with truth and that type of a heart, it's not going to be well received. And that is being judgmental and wrong and pious and holier than thou and all those things. Where you're just trying to be right for being right's sake, not because you're wanting to help the person or see them free. No, I just want you to know that you're wrong and I'm right. 
And so you go find that atheist brother-in-law and you can't wait to just really jack him up because you want to tell him you're right? Or do you want to point him to the truth? hey <laughs> So here's the thing. Jesus is saying, listen, don't be judgmental because that's rooted in pride. But confront in love and humility, not... Not, not judging hypocritically or self-righteously or fault-finding, but rather bringing light to the truth of God's Word while re first removing the plank from your own eye. Because love does not dismiss wrong, it confronts it with the truth. Oh, shoot, somebody. I'm going to say it slow so I can say it some more. Love does not dismiss wrong. It confronts it with the truth. How much would you have to despise somebody in order to see them going down a wrong path and you not love them enough to stand up and tell them the truth? I mean, just think about it. There, there have been people in my life who have spoken to me at different times and they've told me hard things that I didn't like. They didn't make me feel good. I want you to tell me how good I am. I want you to pat me on the back. I want you to tell me anything difficult that I need to change or challenge me with. I want you to tell me I always win the game. But what about when you're struggling or when someone sees you're going down a path or doing things that are not helpful or beneficial, whether it's a big, huge thing or whether it's something small, and someone comes to you in the spirit of love. Again, I said a spirit of love, not a spirit of being judgmental or, or fault-finding or, or, or angry or, or bitter or, or full of just trying to be right and self-righteous, but they come to you in love. And they confront you with something that you don't want to hear or something that you need to change or something that they're willing to help you change or something that they're trying to extend a hand out and say, hey, I see this and this isn't good. And I just want to make you aware of that because this, this really needs to change. I'm willing to help you with that because I love you and I care about you, but, you know, this isn't good. Wow. Sometimes we receive that really well if we have a teachable spirit, we have a teachable heart, but other times we reject it and we get offended. I'm offended because somebody told me I needed to change something. I'm offended because I read the scripture and I saw something I didn't like and I wanted to get my, my, uh, my little special scrapbooking scissors out, start working on scripture. I don't like that one. I'll put a picture of flowers on that one. So that way when I look at it, instead of being sad, I'll be happy. And you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't, you can't edit the Bible and have your own version. That's what culture wants to do. You determine your own truth. You determine your own standard. No, God has set a standard for. God has set his truth for. We have to abide by what he says, not by what we think or feel. So if someone comes to you in a spirit of love and they bring truth to you and you know it's right and you, you don't try to make a bunch of excuses or, or argue, you go, yeah, I, I, I want to walk in freedom from this or I want to do better in this area or whatever. That's how we sharpen one another. That's how we grow. Man, if nobody ever challenged me and everybody just told me how awesome I was all the time, how great they thought I was, I would never grow. I would be stuck. I thank God for people who challenge me. My wife has challenged me many times. <laughs> there have been times where I have been crabby pants. And she would tell me, she'd say, you're being a jerk. And you need to stop. I'm tired of it. I don't want to be around you when you're like that. And I go... Really? You know, and I want to justify it. And I want to, you know, begin to defend myself, like a lot of us do when we're confronted with truth. But she's not coming to me and saying, you terrible person, look at how much better I am than you. 
She's coming to me saying, listen, you're starting to get in a funk and you need to recognize that. I don't know if you see it or not, but this needs to change because this isn't good. And if we keep going down this path this way, it's just going to keep getting worse and you need to realize that. And sometimes I do good with that and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I got to get pretty low before I see that. But when someone brings you the truth, how do you receive it? When someone comes to you in a spirit of love and they're telling you, hey, oh man, I'm sorry, I, I have been like that. I, I need to go to bed earlier right? Some of y'all need to go to bed earlier. Y'all be some crabby pants up in here. Some, some people, they, 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 they need to stay away from certain things that may, may alter their, their moods or their attitudes and things like that. And you need to recognize those things and go, wow, thank you for pointing that out. You know, thank you. And, and, and let's grow together. Let's grow together instead of getting stuck in a funk and always having to justify ourselves. That's ridiculous. I think that uh, when people get offended when someone presents them the truth, that's a lot of times our natural reaction because we want to be right, we don't want to be wrong, but if we're going to be teachable, we have to go, well, maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe I need to listen, especially when people come to you out of concern and out of love. But um, love doesn't dismiss wrong. It confronts it with truth. Proverbs 16 and 6 says that by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. Both of those things. You know, some people are real mercy heavy. They're all like, oh, mercy, mercy, mercy. They let everything go. Everything comes by. Oh, we're not going to confront. Oh, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to be people love and mercy because that's what Jesus was all about, love. And they think that Jesus has got these little tiny circle glasses. He's got his long hair and his robe. And he's sitting out somewhere in a, in a field. He's in strawberry fields forever. Peace, man. You know, and he's just chilling out. And that's Jesus, just some big hippie out there, you know, just jamming out to the Beatles on some hill meditating somewhere. And that's what people think about Jesus. And he's just, oh, it's all good. It's all love. It's all peace. It's all wonderful. Yeah what about the time when Jesus talked to the religious leaders of that day and he said, you guys are a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You're pretty on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead man's bones. What about when Jesus said, you guys are hypocrites. You're a bunch of brood of vipers. You are sons of snakes. What about when Jesus told these guys, you're of your father, the devil. Now, think about this. Was Jesus perfect in every way? Yes. Was Jesus the Son of God? Yes. Did Jesus ever sin? No. no. Okay, so if Jesus never sinned, and, and, and if Jesus is God manifested in the flesh, that means that he has the, 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 the persona of God. He has God's nature. He has a God's ability. He is, he is God wrapped up in flesh, okay? So here he is, this man on earth, but yet he's God. And God is love. And Jesus is not going to do anything his father doesn't tell him to do, is what the Bible said. So if Jesus is calling someone a son of a snake, and he's telling someone, confronting them with the truth that they're whitewashed tombs and full of dead man's bones, guess what? He did it in love. What? That's right. He did it in love. That's hard for you and I to wrap our minds around because we're going, well, maybe he said it sweet. (laughs) You guys, you're... You're just full of dead man's bones, sillies. And we think that that's how Jesus was. And that's ridiculous. No, Jesus confronted them with the truth. He said some hard things, but he said it in love because he wanted them to recognize that he was the Savior, that he was the Messiah, and they needed to get off their high horse and realize that they're not all that and that he's perfect and they're sinners. And he did it in love. 
He said, what did he say when he was on the cross? He said, Father, forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. And buddy, I'm going to remember you and you and you, and I'm going to get you lightning strikes in five, four, three, two, one. Did he do that? No. Could he have done that? Absolutely. But he did not do that. Why? Because he loved those people, even when they hated him, even when they didn't tolerate him, even when they didn't tolerate his message, even when they were driving the nails through his hands and feet, he was still loving them. But Jesus is full of mercy and truth. And that's how you and I need to live our lives, full of mercy and truth. We can get too uh, unbalanced in our mercy. And we never confront truth and we just are passive. And we think that passivity is love and it's not. Passivity is, is just us being weak and f- afraid of confrontation. I and mean, it's really a method of self-preservation because we're really trying to preserve people's uh, negative opinions or reaction that we can't predict about what we would say or what we would do if we stood up for this. And so it's really selfishness is what it's really rooted in, which is rooted in pride which is really why we don't confront, not because we're people pleasers or because we're afraid of someone's reaction. We're really trying to just take care of ourselves. We're really just trying to protect ourselves. So we're very selfish. How, how much would we really have to hate someone to not share with them the truth and love when we see them on a dangerous path? How, how, how precious should the truth of the gospel message be to us that when we see a world that doesn't know Jesus Christ that's very evil and wicked and very against him that we wouldn't share the message of the gospel with them because we're worried about being labeled intolerant because we're worried about someone calling us something or if we stand up for the truth or call something right uh, you know we, we, we want to be the guy that gets on TV that goes oh I don't know I'm going to let God figure all that out well he's already said what's right and he's already said what's wrong he's already given us something to stand on and I think we need to side with him regardless of what happens. You see, the day that we live in, we're surrounded by evil. And to stand up for what's right in the eyes of God is seen as intolerant. Just like we have a group here in the church that's trying to raise money for a pregnancy center. A pregnancy center that would try to educate people on why abortion is murder and why it's sin and why we need to give them loving alternatives for adoption and, and, or to raise their child or whatever the case may be instead of opt for abortion, to do something like that by our culture and society is labeled as us being intolerant. We're not being very tolerant of people that want a choice. I saw this guy on TV. He's one of our senators. And uh, he was talking to this person that uh, is, is, is in charge of uh, proposing regulations for different things in the housing uh, in, in the housing market area, and this lady was proposing all of these regulations towards um, plumbing in homes. And the senator said this. He said, "You know, the problem I have with all these regulations you're wanting to impose on plumbing and all the restrictions that it's going to cause," he said, "is that you people want to restrict my plumbing. You don't want to give me a choice in plumbing." You're not going to allow me to have whatever plumbing I want in my house. You say I have to have this kind, and it's going to cost me more money. It's going to be more inconvenient because I have to have this kind of plumbing. But yet you're going to give people a choice when it comes to human life? He said, that's the problem I have with you people. He said, the problem I have with you people, he said, is that you want to regulate the farming industry, and you want to make farms have major overhauls 
because the temperature is not right in the chicken houses or because the, the, the cows aren't happy enough or because the situation isn't right. You want to regulate all that and say, you don't have a choice. You have to do what I say or you're going to get fined or you're going to get thrown in jail or we're going to come and shut you down. But when it comes to human life, you're just going to say, you need a choice. We're going to regulate toilets, but we're not going to regulate human life. I think that we're being a little hypocritical in our culture. My father-in-law just told me the other day that in Arkansas, it's a law that you cannot go to the store and buy less than five chickens. Because the government has said that if you buy less than five live chickens, that they'll get lonely. Now, the government, we have paid someone with our tax dollars to research the loneliness and happiness of chickens. And so, he, so, so if he were to go and try to buy four chickens, they would say, sorry, Jack, you've got to buy five because they might get lonely. <laughs> They're going to get real lonely when I'm crunching on his leg. <laughs> They're going to get real lonely when I drop them in the deep fryer or throw them on the grill. But they want to say, no, you have to buy five chickens. But you need to let people choose when it comes to whether or not they're going to allow that child to be born. Really? Really? And the fact that us standing up for that truth, that abortion is murder and that we should give people choice, but yet we're fine with them not giving us choices in other areas, is hypocritical and it's weak and it's us playing this tolerant, passive game that we need to realize, my goodness, standing up for the truth, even if you label me as intolerant, I'm going to stand up for that truth. Amen? Amen. And here's the other thing. To say that marriage was, was God's idea between one man and one woman is now in our culture means that we are, are, are bigoted, that, that, that we are fundamentalists, that we are old school, that we are, are, are giving out hate speech. That's what we get labeled as when we say those types of things. When we say God created one man and one woman for life, that's his intention for marriage. That's what we believe. That's what the Bible says. That's what we've seen Jesus even reiterate. The, the, and, and we've seen all this and we've taught all this and it's all good and it's all true. But then the world says, no, you're a bigot. You're intolerant. And they begin to throw all this stuff at us and, and, and tell us that we're just terrible people. And you don't really understand the message of Jesus because he was all about love. Yeah, he was all about love, love and truth. Because by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And Jesus had both. And you and I as followers of him need to have both. Amen? Here's the thing. Uh, we, I have this video that shows this, uh, uh, this, this university that this Christian man came to do a speech. And I don't know what his speech was about, but he was invited by the school to do this speech. And this tolerance movement, this tolerance crowd did the following. Go ahead and show the video. Let me take you now to Indiana University, Doug Wilson. He is a Presbyterian minister. Blog, May blog is a very clever stuff. Might not agree with all of it. Very clever Christian blogger. He was appearing at Indiana University. Apparently, this whole Occupy business isn't quite done yet because some students there decided to show him some tolerant love and occupy his lecture. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you. 
because this should be a place where everyone is accepted. <laughs> Except you people. Listen very carefully. Doug Wilson tries to get control of the situation. At the very end of this, about 25 seconds, give or take, listen very carefully to the younger addressing the elder. This is not the first time I've run, run into the tolerance bus <laughs> The diversity crowd has two fundamental tenets. The first is that they have an absolute commitment to free speech. The second tenet is shut up. <laughs> mm -hmm. Did you hear the youth address the elder? Shut up. So anyways, like I was saying, we see this outcry of these people who are saying you should be tolerant, but yet they're not tolerating him and interrupting this man that was uh, invited by the university to come and speak. And that's this mindset that culture has that this is us, you know, you need to be tolerant instead of say something we don't like or something we may disagree with. So when that girl said, shut up, I mean, should the man have been quiet? Would that have been him being tolerant then? in her mind, if he would have kept quiet? I, I don't think so. Would that have been him doing what they wanted him to do? No. You see, those who disagreed, they shouldn't have interrupted his speech. They should have sat and listened peacefully. And if they felt strongly about their disagreement, they should have approached the man afterwards and asked him questions respectfully. If they disagreed after talking to him and hearing his speech, then they could reject his teaching but to label him intolerant because he taught something they don't like, that's just simply being intolerant. And that's the whole crowd there that touts the tolerance banner. And they were yelling at this man in the middle of his speech, you know, sexist, racist, anti-gay, we don't want you here, go away, or something like that. Over and over again. And then you saw the respectful young woman sharing her opinion with him. We couldn't hear most of it because it was bleeped out because that was her being tolerant and loving like they want him to be. You see, it's such a hypocritical thing. And it's so rampant in our culture today that tolerance is you agreeing and approving. But here's the thing, folks. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 8 that Jesus is going to offend some people. He said that he's that cornerstone that the builders rejected. He said he's a stumbling block of offense for some. And if the truth of Jesus offends some, then guess what? That's going to be between them and God. But for us to not stand up for the truth and speak the truth in love would be us being passive towards what's right and what's wrong. That would be us just simply accepting everything that goes on as, as what's right. Our approval can sometimes be our silence. So if you see someone that is going down a wrong path and you confront them with the truth, do it in love, not with the spirit of having to always be right. If you're convicted by something that you see in the Word of God, instead of trying to figure out how to weave your way around it, confront it and say, God, help me with this. Help me to grow in this area. Or help me to experience freedom in this area. Instead of trying to make it all go away. Challenges are good. 
Standing up for what you believe is good. Being able to disagree with someone and yet still love them and befriend them is good. I have people that I talk to that I know don't believe like I believe. And I have people that live and practice things that I know that I don't agree with. But I'm still showing them love and truth because I'm not giving up on people because Jesus didn't give up on people. Amen? That means I'm going I'm to love the person that may be in prison for some heinous crime. I'm going to love them and be willing to walk in forgiveness towards them, but I'm not going to approve of their sin or what they've done. But I'm going to love the person. I can still love them, but yet for me to, to, to not tell them the truth, that they could come to repentance and come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ on my end would be a great travesty. This is how Jesus handled this in John chapter 8 and verse 1 says, And everyone went to his own house. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. So here's Jesus in the temple teaching. There's a lot of people there. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman who was caught in adultery. And when they had set her in his midst, they said, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now, Jesus... Don't mind that we're interrupting your sermon. Don't mind that we're trying to make you slip up here or, or show people that you're a false teacher. But now, Jesus, Moses in the law, remember Moses, we love Moses, in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. We caught this lady in the very act of adultery. How, how ashamed must this woman be? Did what she do, was it wrong? Yes, Absolutely. They said this testing him because they wanted to see they might give, find something to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't even hear him. And they kept asking him over and over. And Jesus finally raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, cast a stone to her first. Throw the first stone, buddy. First one of you without sin. And again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. And Jesus raised himself up, saw no one but the woman. He said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, see what happened here is all these guys were full of sin, so they couldn't throw the stone. But guess what? At the end, it was just left with her and Jesus. Was Jesus perfect in every way? Did ha- was, he, was he free of sin? Yeah. Could Jesus have thrown a stone at the woman according to his own standard that he proposed? Yeah, he could have. Because he said, let him who doesn't have sin cast the first stone. Jesus could have said, I'm the only one here without sin, so here you go, I'm going to start pelting away. But he didn't. He didn't. But what did he do? He didn't just leave it alone either. He said, I don't condemn you. Mercy. But then he gives truth. Now go, sin no more. He gave mercy, and then he gave truth. You see, by mercy and truth, Proverbs 16 and 6, iniquity is purged. By mercy and truth. That's the beauty of the gospel. It is a message of mercy and truth. The truth is that you and I are sinners and we're undeserving of the gift of God. What we deserve is death, but instead Jesus took it himself. That spotless lamb took your sin, my sin, the sin of the world, that sin that leads to death, and he took it, nailed it to the cross. He raised from the dead three days later, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and me. He's saying, 
know God, let me tell you, that one, they, they have faith in me. They've accepted my blood as payment for their sin. They're one of yours. He's interceding. He's the go-between between you and I and God. He's the one that's made the way to now where we can boldly approach God, where we can talk to Him, where we can have relationship with Him, just like God intended and created in the Garden of Eden. But because of sin, that relationship was lost. But now because of Jesus, that relationship has been restored. It's not my righteousness that I trust in, because the Bible says my righteousness is like filthy rags. I trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ as my righteousness. He gave that to me as a gift. It's the grace of God that has been bestowed upon all of mankind as a free gift and all we have to do is receive it by faith. And when we do, He makes us right in the eyes of God. It's no longer I that lives. It's Christ that lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave His life for me. Therefore, if any man... Yeah, come on. Amen. <laughs> if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. That's the goodness of Jesus. But the truth is that we have to realize we're dead in sin and we need a Savior. That's not fun. That's not easy. But when I realize that I'm dead in my own sin and my own brand of righteousness and my own good works that try to lead and equate to righteousness and I can't save myself by my own goodness that I have to trust in the goodness of Jesus, then guess what it does? It makes me realize I need Him. And when I realize I need him, I have to cling tightly to the cross. I have to cling tightly to the truth. And when I do, I realize, Jesus, I always need you. I never get good enough to stop needing you. I need you every day. I don't get good enough in my own brand of righteousness to where I go, Jesus, I can do this without you. No, I always need him to the very end of time. I always need you, Jesus. You see, it's that love and truth that purges iniquity. It's that love and truth that sets us free. And it's that love and truth that will help you and I grow as men and women of God. It's that love and truth that will help us be a more effective church. It's that love and truth that will help us stand in the face of adversity and pressure that this culture would try to put on us. Love and truth. Love and truth. Amen? Amen. So let me ask you this. Do you know Him? Because if you know Him, you'll know mercy and truth. You see, some people like their own idea of Jesus being this very culturally tolerant Jesus that just lets everything go and never stands up for anything, and everybody's right, and Tom Cruise is right, and Oprah's right, and, and, and all the famous preachers are right, and all of the other religions are right, and everybody just has to find their own way. However you get there, it's all about just being nice and loving and good people. No, it's not. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about your goodness or my goodness. It's about His goodness. It's about Jesus. It's about His love and His truth. And when I know that side of Jesus, then I can model that side of Jesus. I become a conduit of His love and His truth to a lost and dying world. Because some people like truth Jesus. They want Jesus to be the, the one that's walking around with a Bible, and they want to buy the biggest Bible possible. So the first time they see somebody, they just go, whack, whack. And they just beat the fool out of them with it, because I got truth. And there's no mercy, there's no love. It's just I want to be right, and I want to beat you over the head with truth. But then there's the mercy crowd that never wants to present truth because they don't want to offend. But Jesus was full of mercy and truth. And you and I are to be conduits of mercy and truth. Because when we are, we glorify Him. 
to a very intolerant world that's very much anti-Christ. This world doesn't have a problem with all the different religions and God. They have a problem with anyone making a stand against something that they like and that they think everybody should be okay with. And when you stand for that and you go, no, this is what Jesus said and I'm going to stand for what he said, that's where they go, no, you're one of those kind of Christians. Well, I'm the kind of Christian that believes the Bible. (laughs) And I'm the kind of Christian that's not going to skip over the verses that may not be culturally acceptable. I'm going to go, okay, what did you say? I better align my beliefs, not to what feels good, not what culture would pressure me to believe, but I need to align my beliefs to what he said. Amen, somebody? Would you bow your head this morning? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.